with prayer. Heavenly Father, we have much to be thankful for. And as we just come from reflecting on the cross, Lord, we come to you with great thanksgiving and praise. We thank you for birthdays. We thank you for life. We thank you for the gift of hope and family and friends. And Lord, we pray that our church family can be something we're thankful for together in what you've given us. Uh, Lord, that we would seek you with our hearts and, and our minds and our souls. And so, Lord, as we come before you today, we pray that uh, your word would make an impression on our minds and our hearts. Uh, Lord, that uh, it would bear fruit in us, that we would have minds to think and ears to listen and hearts to obey. And Lord, strengthen us and give us encouragement today as we walk together with you. We thank you for your spirit being here with us and leading us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stevie Johnson uh, was a football player for the Buffalo Bills, and uh, he uh, was a wide receiver. And he had the chance to make the winning touchdown catch in one of, his, uh, one of the games he was playing in. And, you know, the poor guy, the ball hit him right in the hands. And he dropped it, and his team lost. Well, like any, uh, any modern player, he takes to Twitter, and he took the moment to vent about God. He said, really, God, I worship you 24-7, and this is how you treat me. You know, I don't know that God cares if you score a touchdown or not, uh, but it was just, it, it was a small picture of, of how we can often have a relationship with God. When, uh, when things are good, you know, it's like, man, God, God is at work, God, you know, and, and you love God, and you appreciate all that he's doing for you. And then when things are bad, it's kind of like, really, God, where are you? Uh, I would appreciate if you would show up. And this morning in our text, we're going to spend time in two different texts, and we're actually going to land in something uh, that you may not expect. Uh, but there's, uh, there's a sort of tension at play. And the tension uh, is in Deuteronomy 8, and it's in Matthew 4. And what we're going to do is actually we're going to open in Matthew 4. We'll get to Deuteronomy 8 in a moment. But what I want to sort of put in your mind and have you thinking about is your relationship with God and how God is at work within it and maybe your own sort of reflection on who he is, what he does, what he doesn't do, and maybe your own sort of heart of obedience. Are you obedient to God when he does, uh, when he's showing up? Are you obedient to God when it appears as though he hasn't shown up? When he isn't uh, making life easy and you're not scoring game-winning touchdowns? And so I want you to just reflect on your relationship with God this morning. And uh, there's an example of someone at the end, that I hope we will all emulate and become. So in Matthew chapter 4, it's a familiar text to us. It's the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It just, uh, after Jesus' baptism, we are told uh, that the heavens open, a dove descends, and there's a voice that is heard that says, this is my son who I love and am well pleased. 
So you should, as the Son of God in that moment, with the Spirit of God descending from you, you should be uh, riding pretty high, I would think, thinking, okay, God, I am God's Son, I'm beloved. And what we will see happen in Matthew 4 is Satan, the tempter, the deceiver, try and thwart Jesus' identity. Get him to question if he is loved by God or not. So in Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. This is a sort of sidebar and just an encouragement. There's a book that's written. It's called In the Name of Jesus. It's written by Henry Nouwen. If you want the very best book that, uh, that I've ever read, and in my opinion is the best book written about Matthew chapter 4, it's, it's that book, In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen. And it's about Christian leadership and our life with God, and you will learn so much about yourself and, and, uh, and just the challenges that Jesus faces, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a huge uh, spiritual encouragement to me. Uh, I, I can't recommend it more highly uh, enough than... Uh, Henry Nouwen, in the name of Jesus. Um, uh, sidebar uh, aside now, uh, thinking about our text, there are a few things going on which uh, Jesus is facing. And uh, when I wrote it all out, and in your sermon notes, uh, I have it written differently, and then this morning I was thinking about it, it's like, man, there's actually an opportunity for alliteration, and I'm terrible at that, and so if there's an actual opportunity, I'm going to rewrite the notes. And so the words are actually, uh, uh, in my head now this morning, are provision, protection, and power. Provision, protection, and power. And when we think about our relationship with God, we want God to provide for us, we want God to protect us, and we also got, want God's power over us and power for us. And so what is going on in the text is actually this sort of tension. Will God provide? Will God provide for himself in this moment? Satan says, if you are the son of God, then why don't you provide for yourself? Turn these stones into bread. Turn these stones into bread. If you really are who you say you are, if you are who God says you are, then certainly you should be able to provide for yourself food in this moment. And Jesus, uh, and you know, and you've, uh, I imagine you've heard sermons on, uh, on Matthew 4 before, you know that Jesus responds with the word of God. He responds with Deuteronomy 8. He says, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. 
And as Christians, we have known and we have learned over time again and again the importance of Scripture in our life. This is not just the Scriptures. I think he's saying we live by God speaking the world into being. We live by every word that God has spoken. We have life, we have breath, we have mercy, we have love, we have forgiveness because of the Word of God. We don't, we don't find our fulfillment by the things of the world. We don't find our fulfillment by uh, the food that we eat. We find our life and our fulfill, fulfillment by every word that is spoken from God. So Jesus, he points, uh, he points Satan to Scripture and says, you know, remind you, let me just remind you, I don't, I don't live by bread, even though I am starving and I'm hungry. Who's, who's ever gone, you know, 40 days without eating? That would be pretty hard. I, it's hard for me to not go 40 minutes. I'm, and I even practice in between meals, you know. It's, uh, you know it's, it's hard to think about that. But Jesus reveals his identity. He, he truly is the Son of God because he intuitively knows that his life comes from God and his word. I, I, um, I don't mean this for me. Uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't picked up the reading, uh, reading through God's word plan, please do that. If, if that's too much, just do a little bit every day, and there's 100 million apps to help you with that on your phone. There are things, uh, you can actually even get a piece of paper with a list of scriptures on it, and, uh, and you, can, you can just open up God's Word and spend time with Him each day. Uh, when we go from here uh, later today, I, I will share uh, an encouragement that I got this week. I went to a, um, a, a virtual conference, but I watched it with some friends, uh, which was good because I probably would have tuned it out if I wasn't watching with a little accountability, but uh, it was about the Psalms and how to pray the Psalms, and and. Um, I've just been, I, I learned it on Thursday, and I've been doing it ever since, and it has brought life to my prayer life. I felt like I was saying sort of the same things over and over again. Do you ever feel like you're saying the same things over and over again to God, and it's kind of like, and then you wander off? Have you ever wandered off in prayer? And this, uh, this practice has really helped hone in my prayers. I still wander, but it gives me an anchor to something to come back to. Um, so I'm going to share that with you. It's, it's a, a bit, it's a bit long, <laughs> but uh, but I will uh, I'll encourage you to listen to that and give you something uh, to get ourselves into the Word of God and listening to the Word of God and finding that as our strength and our true provision. We want God to also protect us, and that's the that's the next test. As Satan takes Jesus to uh, to the uh, highest point. Uh, the temple and says here take a leap and he quotes I think it's Psalm 91 and says you know God's going to protect you and you're not going to the angels will come swoop in and take care of you and uh, this sort of temptation I'm I'm sure you have not ever felt the temptation to take a leap and see if you know the angels will come and catch you Uh, it's not advised to try that out either I don't know if you're tempted in any way but we are we are prone to testing God, we are prone to see, what not because we jump off a building, but because there are moments in our life where we wonder, God, are you going to show up? God, are you going to rescue me? God, are you going to catch me? God, are you going to be there for me? God, are you going to help me? We've said those prayers. We've had those pleas. 
And if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with our relationship with God, there's times where it feels like he hasn't called us. So then we start to wonder. We start to test. We, we wonder, does God pass the test? And we do, what, uh, we do what others have done time and time again, which is doubt in God, doubt in his promises, doubt in his presence. God, he gives us his faithful promise that he's going to be present, he's going to be with us, he's going to care for us. Sometimes it feels like he doesn't catch us. Jesus, he responds to the tempter and he says, you know, we don't put the Lord God to the test. He's faithful whether or not we catch the touchdown pass or not. He's faithful when I am hurting, he's faithful when I am healed. He's faithful when I'm sad, he is faithful when I'm filled with joy. He's faithful in all circumstances. And so I don't need to put God to the test because I already know and believe in my heart and believe in all of my soul and all my being that God is real and God is love and God is present, God is faithful, God is merciful, God is steadfast in his love. And so Jesus Jesus says we don't put the Lord God to the test because he's already passed it. He's already shown himself faithful time and time again. As we read through and find life in the living word of God, we are reminded again and again of God's faithful presence and faithfulness to provide and protect. Then there's this sense of control and power. Jesus is tempted to be given power. Power over all nations, over all people, to give him authority and power. And we think, well, that's what Jesus eventually gets. This is just sort of the fast forward button. This is the skipping all of the suffering and skipping all of the difficulty. All you have to do is worship him. And Jesus doesn't take the shortcut. He doesn't take the easy way out. He takes the path to power is through suffering and suffering on the cross. And so Jesus... Jesus says, away from me, and we don't, we don't worship you. We worship God only. We trust in him only. We find life in him only. One of the hardest lessons I've learned, I think, over the last year is just how much I like power and control. I like being able to set plans and let them be accomplished. Do you like to make plans and let them come to being? It is a joy. And I'll tell you what, since August of 2019, I don't feel like any plan has worked out. I make a plan and it's like, I'm just going to pencil it in anymore. I have needed to learn, I have needed to learn again and again about power. Control. And Jesus teaches us that it's not about the grasp for power, but it's about emptying himself, pouring himself out, laying his life down, giving his heart to God, and saying, I worship God only. I worship him and him alone. And what may come and what, what I could prevent and what I could control, what I, 
what, with what power I could have to make the world the way I want it to be. Jesus rejects that power. And he lays his life down. He says, we don't worship you, we worship God only. I wouldn't have blamed Jesus there. If anybody could run the show, I would like him to start running the show as soon as he could, as soon as he could, as soon as possible. Jesus shows us to truly worship God and to truly trust in him. It's to reject this sort of power that's offered by Satan to show us the way of true grace and true love and true mercy. True power is found in laying his life down and being a servant to all. How about you? You think about our walk with God and the tests that we face and the challenges. Sometimes it's good and it's easy to worship God. Sometimes it's hard and it's, it's hard. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes we wonder, is God there and is God listening? Is God going to provide? Is God going to protect? I find that sometimes in my relationship with God, I kind of back him into a corner. The Israelites have a tendency to back God into a corner. It's just sort of human nature. We put God and we say, okay, if, if God behaves this way, we try to grasp and we try to understand him. We try to wrap our heads around God. Deuteronomy 8 kind of offers another perspective. Jesus quotes in Matthew 4 from Deuteronomy 8 and also Deuteronomy 6. We're going to simply look at Deuteronomy 8 this morning. Hearing all of what I've just shared, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Just keep following along. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to each, uh, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and decrees that I'm giving you this day. 
Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large, and your silver and your gold and your increase and all you have is multiplied, verse 14, when you have all that you're wanting, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land and its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify to you again today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. We back God into a corner sometimes. He provides for us and we forget about him. He doesn't provide for us and we wonder where he's at. What is God to do with a fickle human heart? I said I'd end with an example follow. We find him in the New Testament. His name is the Apostle Paul. If you turn with me to Philippians 4, we are reminded that Philippians is a thank you letter to the church in Philippi. They've provided help to Paul while he's in the midst of, uh, it's a prison epistle, he's written it from prison. Philippians 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. This is verse 4. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we just jump down a little ways to verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, your, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is the example we follow. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether the circumstances are good or bad, whether there is great difficulty or hardship and we have all the questions of all of the suffering and all of the hurt and all the angst in our heart, or whether or not life is really good, 
we know the secret. The secret is Jesus Christ. The secret is, is that he can face suffering. He can face death. He can face all of the suffering and all of the insults and all of the pain of the cross. He can point us the joy of life everlasting. Friends, we can keep wrestling with God, and we will. I don't know that there's a sermon out there to be preached that would keep us from the wrestling matches of walking with God. But in every doubt, in every struggle, in every circumstance of being well-fed or hungry, being able to make plans and accomplish them versus making plans and having them all fall apart. In each and every single circumstance, the secret to life, the secret to contentment, the secret to peace, the secret to seeing our way through, the secret to life is Jesus Christ and life in him only. So when we look at Matthew 4 and we look at Deuteronomy 8, we see a sort of, uh, we can take a sort of high angle lens and look down at God's word and see that God's faithful provision is walking with the Israelites even in the midst of their despair and their wonder and wondering what is next. God has shown himself faithful. God has shown himself to be present and loving and a faithful father to the Israelites. And he can look down at his son and be well pleased in his response to the tempter and the evil one who was trying to thwart what he knew about himself to be the son of God. And he can look down at Paul in the midst of prison, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. And he can be pleased with how this church has blessed and loved him. And he can be pleased with his servant. He says, I figured out life. It's Jesus. It's him. It's him walking with me. It's him being with me. It's him strengthening me. It's him as the example of suffering and difficulty. It's him as the example of victory and mercy. And he does not question the provision and the protection and the power of God. Friends, it's a lofty example. I'm asking you to go be like Paul today. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is also the spirit that is alive in you. And all of us have walked with God and we have questioned his protection. We have questioned his provision. And we have grasped for our own power and control. And I invite you, I invite you to pray with me that we would remind ourselves that we live not by the things of this world, not by the bread of this world, not by the things that would provide us these comforts, but we live by every word that comes from God. That we would remind ourselves that we do not need to put the Lord our God to the test. He is with us, and he loves each and every one of us. And we can worship him and him alone. 
for anyone that might wonder, why have we been preaching through the book of Deuteronomy? Well, it's Jesus' example here that reminds us that this book is relevant for every moment of our life. Because every moment we are challenged to think that we can provide for ourselves, protect ourselves, and have our own power. And all God is wanting from his Israelite people is to be a people who trust in him, who walk with him, and worship him only. I'm sure that there's an area in your life where you need encouragement, prayer, where you need reminded that God is your life and your hope. And I hope that, that would, the Spirit would work in your heart now as we reflect on him. You don't need to back God into a corner and paint him into a certain little picture. He's above all of it. The secret is that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let's turn to him. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the spirit that is alive in us. And Lord, it is so easy for us to fall prey to our fears, to our failures, to moments, Lord, where we have wondered where you are and if you are with us. God, as you showed over and over and over again, to the Israelites, that you are with them and present and faithful. Lord, you have done the same for us, your church. Lord, you have journeyed with your church since its inception. And you have shown your faithfulness from generation to generation of people who faced persecution and trials, who faced all sorts of circumstances. Lord, so give us better perspective better perspective on history and life and your faithfulness throughout it. Lord, we love you. We need you. And where we are tempted to trust in our own strength, trust in our own power, trust in our own ways. Lord, discipline us as your loving, a loving father caring for his children. And we know it will at times hurt. And so we tentatively pray this, knowing, God, that there could be difficulty and hardship. But throughout all of it, Lord, help us to see you. Shine your face upon us and bless us and care for us. Lord, that we would be a blessing to the world. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was reflecting on this uh, sermon this morning and what I wanted to share with you, I was thinking about Moses. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. It's been a real bummer for me as I read through Deuteronomy and I think Moses is going to die and Joshua goes in. What did Moses do wrong? Moses struck the rock twice when God commanded him to speak to the rock. I've often thought, that's pretty harsh, God. (laughs) I want us to think about that as we reflect on Stevie Johnson, who says, I've done all of these things, and they helped me before. 
Moses, everything he did was with the staff. Up until that point, everything God did through him was through an action with the staff. He, he got water out of the rock previously by using his staff. He, he turned his staff into a snake. He raises his staff and it separates the water. Everything he's done has been using the staff. And he thought, this is, this is how you get it done. So he uses the staff to get water out of the rock at Meribah. And God says, you didn't listen to me. Where I'm going with this is pretty simple. We have a tendency to really appreciate control and power. And Moses found in that what he wanted to accomplish and do needs a reminder of his own lesson. That life comes from the word of God. Life comes from every word that is spoken from God. It's our hope, it's our mercy, it's our love, it's our forgiveness. And sometimes we make too much of what has always worked. So I would invite us to hear God. I would invite us to listen and say, what is it that he wants us to do today? And it's probably laying down our staff and it's asking the question, what do, you, what do you want us to believe in God? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to respond? Let's open our hearts to him. Be open to what God is doing. Not just what he's done in the past, but what he wants us to do today and, and into the future. Let's respond in worship and praise. If you'd stand for continuing worship.